want to encourage us all, no matter where you are, maybe this is a, a great spiritual peak for you and you're totally excited. Great. Let this lesson help you take it higher and spread it to other people to help them as well. So no matter where you are spiritually, today's lesson is for you. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. So if this lesson is for everybody that's in this room, that means at some point everybody in this room can say amen. Amen. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. You know, this was a miracle that happened. Paul and Silas were in prison, and they started to pray. And a miracle happened. And this is a great example of how God worked back in the first century. But God didn't just work just in the first century. He works today, and he's going to work tomorrow and all the way in the future. That's the God that we serve. Let me share a story with you. You probably heard it before when it first happened. This was years ago. But there was a group of Christians in Pakistan having a prayer meeting. While in the prayer meeting, the Taliban terrorists burst into the meeting and took 16 Christians as hostages. The terrorists took the 16 Christians into a cave and told them to stay there and to be quiet. The terrorists then stood at the entryway of the cave and discussed how they would kill the Christians in hearing range of the Christians. You know, what do Christians do when they're challenged? They pray. These 16 Christians began to pray in the cave in spite of being told to keep quiet. Not only were these 16 praying, but the other disciples in Pakistan and the surrounding churches began to pray. The disciples began to pray and make phone calls, reaching out for help. One of the disciples was able to get in touch with a high-ranking political official. This official, in turn, was able to make contact with the Taliban who had kidnapped the Christians. The Christians had no idea the officials had contacted the Taliban, so the terrorists walked back into the cave where the Christians were, and the Christians probably thought, this is it. But through prayer of the 16 in the cave and many other disciples, a miracle occurred. The terrorists approached the Christians in the cave, but instead of killing them, escorted them out of the cave unharmed. Not only were they released, but a public apology in the paper was issued to all 16 Christians as well. God works not just in the first century, but even today. And so I want to help us to understand what is necessary to get our spiritual <clears throat> back into it. Look over in John chapter 8, verse 31. John 8, verse 31. To the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now Jesus was talking to the Jews who believed him. See, belief is not enough. We have to hold on to the teachings. Paul and Silas, they held on to the teachings in good times and challenging times. 
Jesus told his followers not just to believe, but they need to hold on to the teachings. Don't just play church. You need to live church. The title of today's lesson is very simple. Listening and doing. Just, we've got to keep it simple today. You know, I played ball for a long time. I took a lot of shots to the head. So I want to keep things simple because things kind of can go all different places. Look in James chapter 1. Thank you, Rosie, and we are praying for you, sister, for your health. James chapter 1, even the subtitle above what we're going to read in verse 19 says, Listening and Doing. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know, the Bible says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. You know, uh, in July, my family got a chance to go on vacation, and we went to Nebraska. Now, most people, when they go on vacation, they say, we went to Hawaii. Everybody go, ooh, but I said Nebraska. And y'all was like, oh, amen for you. Well, that's, we went to visit my family. And so we're on the airplane going, and, you know, we sit down. I'm sitting next to my daughter. She had her headphones on, so I put my music on. And the stewardess comes out, and she starts to give her a little spill. You know, uh, a good flying, the buckle your seatbelt, the buckle goes in to release it, lift the flap. In case of emergency, the mask will fall down. Please put the mask on yourself, blah, 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 blah. My daughter looked over at me and said, what did she say? And I was like, I don't know. And then we just kept going. As we start flying, I started thinking for a minute, you know what? This lady just gave me life-saving information. And I totally just blew her off and didn't pay attention. Not only did I blow it off, but once when we were playing, when I was in college and we were flying, our, one of the engines in our plane went out before we started to land. And we heard that speech so many times from the stewardess, but when that plane light went out, and that engine felt like that, we all froze. We didn't know what to do. Everybody grabbed and had those little green Gideon Bibles with just the New Testament. Everybody grabbed them little things. We real quickly jumped on Jesus all of a sudden. But we didn't know what to do. Honestly, my brain went blank. I didn't know what to do. And I'd heard it so many times that I just shut it off. And so I said to myself, I said, self, How many times does this happen to us spiritually? Because on our soul plane, we can have three different types of passengers. The first passenger is the frequent flyer. 
That's a person that hears the Bible, the Sunday sermon, so many times that they just zone out. Just as she was talking, I was like, I heard that from something with the seatbelt. I know how to put a seatbelt on, so I didn't worry about it. But some people, kingdom kids especially, can come to church so many times when you do hear the word, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And sometimes it don't even go in. It just bounces off. you got to ask yourself, am I a frequent flyer, a church goer? Did I go so much and I hear something and there's a little spot that makes me feel good? Other than that, I don't even have a clue what was said. And then there's also in the airplane, you got the first class passengers. You know, those are the people that say, you know what? That was a good lesson and I hope everybody was listening. Doesn't really apply to them. They hope everybody else gets the message. You know, when you get on the plane, those people in first class, you know, they, they, they invested, they bought a ticket, but they're a little bit up. And so they're in their first class, and they're sitting down all comfortable and just watching you as you walk by, going on to the back of the plane. Very rarely do you even see somebody help somebody in first class. Always in the coach, somebody will help you put your bags up or something like that. First class, hmm. And you know what? You can be a, a Christian in the church so long, and you start to kind of feel a spiritual entitlement, and you become a first-class Christian in the wrong way. And then you have the coach flyers. Those are the people that, you know what? They just glad to be flying somewhere instead of driving 26 hours. They take them little pretzels and chips, and they happy eating that little cookie. They just glad to be on the plane. And that's how there are some spiritual Christians are. You know what? I am just glad to be a disciple. I'm just glad to be in God's kingdom. You know what? I'm going to do whatever I need to do. You know, John needs help with this park service. I'm going to go help John with this park service. I'm going to just do whatever because I'm just glad to be on the plains of heaven. So the question is, what kind of flyer are you? Because the title is Listening and Doing. So let me break this down because this is what will help us get out of a spiritual slump or this is what will help you become a Christian or this is what will help you stay a Christian if we listen and do what the Bible says. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he says again, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Point number one, quick to listen. You know, Satan has a plan to get every single one of us. But one of the biggest tools he has is pride. Pride. Because at times we feel like nobody's going to tell me what to do anymore. And sometimes our pride is so strong that God is even in that category. God can't tell you what to do anymore. We get to the point where nobody's going to tell us what to do. We get to the point in life where we start to read the Bible just for knowledge. It doesn't really change us. It's for knowledge. It's for, I feel good. I read this morning, so I feel good today. That's not a life change. See, challenges are going to come. When challenges come, does God still get to control your life? Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. This is the next book over. 
1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It says, cast all your summer blues on God because he cares for you. Cast all of it. And you got to think about it. Are you casting all of it on God? God's word comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. You got to look at this. Am I open? Am I talking about all the stuff that's going on in my life? Am I casting all my anxieties upon God? You know, I share with the men at Men's Midweek that one of the things that hurt Judas Iscariot was the fact that he was not open with his life. And you got to figure this out. He was with Jesus for years. And when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they all looked and said, who is it? If Judas had been open with his challenges, his struggles, his temptations, they would have knew it was Judas and they could have helped him. But Judas never said, I'm challenged with trying to steal money. He never said it. I'm struggling with being better than y'all. He never was open with his life. So when time came to get help, he couldn't get help. My question for you, are you casting all your anxieties upon God? Are you making sure people in your life know what's going on? Well, nobody's in my life, okay? Get somebody in your life. You need to walk up and say, you're going to be in my life. You put them in your life. We can't sit around and wait, okay, I hope they come to me one day and get in my life. You don't have anybody? Find somebody. Listen to me. 450 jacked up people in this room. Somebody can relate to you in one way or another. Look in John chapter 13. John 13, verse 34. It says 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It says, by our love, people are going to know whether or not we're disciples. You know, it's obvious who sports fans are because they talk about it, they'll wear the jerseys, they'll have the newspaper. I mean, they'll, they'll, it's obvious inside and out who sports fans are, what team you like, who you support. It should be obvious if you're a disciple of Jesus, inside and out. Do you talk about Jesus? Now, let me, let me tell you something here. Let me correct you. I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm talking about, do you just talk about Jesus? Even to other Christians, if you're not talking about Jesus to another Christian, you know you're not talking about Jesus to somebody that's not a Christian. Do you talk about Jesus? You know, our campus intern, he'll, start, he'll be here next week, Charles. He's like, I said, Charles, you're going to start preaching in the Bronx. Even if you've never preached before, you're going to preach. This is how you're going to learn to grow. He says, well, what should I do? I said, listen. If there's ever a preacher that preaches and doesn't talk about Jesus, that needs to be his last sermon. So whatever you do, you talk about Jesus. 
said, that makes sense. I said, yes, it does. How can we say we're a Christian if we don't talk about Jesus? How often do you talk about Jesus? Even in your household, do you talk about Jesus at home? See, it's important for our kids not to hear what we say, but to see what we do. And if we're talking about Jesus and living like Jesus, they will imitate. How much Jesus do you talk about? If you're not talking about Jesus now, what makes you think you would do it if you were in heaven with him? See, this is what we need to understand. I was, uh, when we were at Thrive, uh, my family got together with Sean Wooten and his family. Because uh, he studied the Bible with me, baptized me, so we tried to get together whenever possible. And so we got together, and we were just kind of talking and reminiscing and, and just talking about past and all this stuff. And then we went, to, we were, this was at Panera Bread. So when we went to leave, uh, Sean and the guy that was with him, they didn't eat their bags of chips, so they were still closed up. And so we started to leave, and his wife, Lena, walked over and she said, Maurice, come here, take these chips with you. I said, I don't want them. I said, I'm not hungry. She said, no, take them, put them in your bag, give them to some poor person or some homeless person on the street. What are you thinking? Give them to somebody. My first thought was, what? You know how many times I don't save your little skinny husband from getting beat up in college and you coming at me like this? I, I thought that. It was a real quick thought, but I did think that. And then I thought, you know what? She has a conviction about giving to the poor. And it doesn't matter who you are or what your position is, she was going to say what her conviction was about giving to the poor. So I put the bags in my backpack. I said, here, take these bags, girl. So we took the, the chips. I'm like, hey, you got nothing big to tell me that? I'm going to do it. What is the definition of conviction? Conviction is being a state of being so convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing can sway you. Being so convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing can sway you. You believe in God. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't believe in God some kind of way. So if you're walking down the street and somebody walks up to you or a co-worker or a school and they say, you know what, you need to quit going to church. God, yeah, he's got it, bro. That's just a fake thing. Just quit doing it. You wouldn't say, well, golly, maybe you're right. You'd have conviction to say, what are you talking about? As a matter of fact, just stop talking. I mean, you would, if they kept coming, you'd start to get angry the fact that they're talking about your God. It's like a, a pet dog. You try to mess with the master, that dog going, he's going to come at you because you don't mess with his master. How much do we let people mess with our Lord and we don't even say nothing? What is your conviction about God? What are your convictions in general? Convictions make you who you are. Say you have a conviction that you shouldn't smoke. No matter how many times people offer you, pin around, do something, you're not going to do it. Because that's your conviction. Now, if your parents have a conviction you shouldn't smoke, but you don't, then you're not going to smoke until you get into a situation that you think smoking makes you feel better or cool, then you're going to do it. 
If it's not your conviction, you will eventually do it. If you have a conviction that you should not have sex before you're married, you won't do it. No matter how much somebody tries to tempt you, you won't even give in to it, nor will you put yourself in a position to be tempted. If you believe you should not have sex before you're married, if that's your conviction, but if it's not your conviction and somebody else's, as soon as that person says, I love you, you're going to stop keeping up with Jesus and start keeping up with the Kardashians. It's going to be one or the other. But it's simple. What is your conviction about things? See, convictions make you who you are. They describe you. You have a conviction to follow God? You'll be a Christian. You have a conviction that drinking isn't that bad? You'll be a drunk. You have a conviction that you need to read your Bible every day? You'll have faith in God. You have a conviction that drugs aren't that bad? You'll be a drug addict. You have a conviction that camp will change your life? You're going to have the best year of camp you ever had this week. What is your conviction? That says who you really are. Because your convictions talk about you when you don't even say anything. God is calling you to turn your life over to him, to trust him, to serve him, to follow him, not to argue about it. You know, it's amazing how sometimes I've seen there's a group of guys, say like five guys that are like close friends in the body of Christ. And then I may have a challenging situation with one of them and rebuke that one. But by the time he goes back and tells the other four, now all of a sudden they feel this animosity towards me. Even though nothing ever happened with those four, all of a sudden their whole vision and, and, and feelings have changed because of one person's expression of something. Now, it never happened to them, but they heard it from their friends, so they just believe it as gospel without probably hearing the whole story anyway. But you know what? You can be around somebody and you start talking so negative that all of a sudden other people start talking negative and negative and negative. Isn't that what happened? Peter said, Jesus, no, and all the others said the same. That's in the Bible. Now, if Peter was such a loud mouth and has all this going on and swayed the other 11 disciples, that can happen to us today. You have to be careful who the company you keep. In and out the church. Now, 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 if you visit it, don't say, well, I don't know if I want to be in this church then. You know what? You need to be more happy to be in this church because you'll go somewhere the preacher won't ever talk about it. And he'll just act like everything's fine. Everything ain't always fine. You need to deal with some things sometimes. And that's what we do here. We will deal with the Bible, preach the Bible, and live the Bible for God. Amen? Back to James chapter 1. Back to James chapter 1. So the first point was we need to be quick to listen. So I hope you heard what I said. Don't, don't be that, that frequent flyer that you heard something and it just, whatever, that was great. Move on. And don't be that first class passenger that that was great for everybody in that section. This is for all of us. We need to be quick to listen to what God said. If you're struggling, the first thing you do is get back into the Bible Open it up. Just start in the book of John, Matthew, Luke. Just pick one of the Gospels and just start listening to what God is saying. 
And then you do the best you can to live it out. The second thing it says there, first, in a, again, chapter 19, James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. And secondly, slow to speak. You know, in the airline, you have one carry-on. And nowadays, if you want to carry any more bags, you're going to have to pay for them bad boys. Now, if you fly international flights, it takes a long time because your bags, you got to talk about things, it's just blah, 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 blah. But the problem is, when you have a lot of bags internationally, then you have a lot to say because they ask you a bunch of questions about it. God wants you to follow him, but it's hard to walk with Jesus and keep pace if you're carrying so much baggage in your life. See, if you're a Christian, you need to check in those baggages at the foot of the cross. See, that's the problem. When I walk around, I see some Christians not hugging, not smiling. You can't hug if you're carrying all these bags. Why are you carrying all your baggage with you? How are you going to hug somebody and your arms can't even move up because you got these bags? There should never be an unhappy Christian. Why? What's the worst that happen? You die and go to heaven! Look over in Matthew chapter 11. Hey, uh, John Talawali, those gentlemen to the right of you, can you help them be quiet? Because they seem to have a talking problem while I'm preaching with this. I'm not going to say whose sons they are, but at this point, every parent should be looking back there to see, is that my child? Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to, my, to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what? That's too much baggage for you to carry. Jesus is saying, give me the bag. Give me your baggage. You know, people are so happy with the slogan, Jesus, take the wheel. We need to say, Jesus, take the baggage. I, I, I don't need this. I don't want this. This is what we need to realize. God is saying, listen, if you walk in my ways, it will be easier than you think. There's no reason why anybody in here should not be a Christian. It's too hard to be a Christian. Not if you're doing it Jesus' way. Will there be challenges? Yes, but every challenge has hope. Without Jesus, every challenge has no hope. you got to understand, this is so important for us to understand. We've got to let Jesus carry the load for us. Look in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Now again, what kind of flyer are you? Don't be a coach flyer. I mean, don't be a first class or a frequent flyer. Listen to what this says here. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay? First class? That was a good scripture. I sure hope this church is listening. Frequent flyer? What was that scripture about? Something forgive what? I heard something about forgiving. I, I, I didn't catch it really. Or the coach passages. You know what? I'm glad that's in the Bible. And is there anybody I need to forgive? We're thinking now. Is there anybody I need to forgive? I need to forgive a preacher for just calling me out in church. Now I got to sit with my dad. All right, I forgive you. You were right, but it just made me mad. I'm going to help you put this into practice today. See, we got to ask ourselves, are we quick to listen and slow to speak? Most arguments start because people aren't slow to speak. They've got to say what they feel. And they're going to say it when they feel it and how they feel it, and you just got to understand, I'm just being open. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Back in James 1, verse 19. Again, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and thirdly, slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Driving in New York to be an Olympic event. Parking in New York should be an Olympic event. Who can do it in under 10 minutes? Look at chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 3. James 3, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boats. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole force of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You know, a little spark in California now has the whole state, 75% of the state, covered with smoke. The fires going on now in California are huge. And I always say, just from my firefighter days, you know, stop, drop, and roll. We're not working hell. It is important for us to realize that it just takes a little bit to do a lot of damage. But it also takes a little bit to do a lot of good. You know, one of the things we studied when I was getting on the fire department is back in the old days, we used to have horses that would carry the wagons. Uh, that had all the water in the back because they didn't have all the, you know, hydrants and all that stuff. But what they had to do is to train these horses to run into the fire so they can put it out. No natural animal wants to run into fire. But they train them. That they took that little bit and they trained them. Why? Because the horses became meek. meek meekness is bridal strength. That means you have the strength to do what you want, but yet you have the willpower to overcome that natural desire. Horses are very meek. 
because a, a horse that big can look at the owner and say, I am not running into no fire. You see some human beings say that, I am not going in there. But that's what meekness is. A part of being a Christian is becoming meek. It, it's not weak. It's not being a sissy. It's being meek. Even though you have the strength and the power to do it, you don't do it. There are times my little angels, both of them little things, do some stuff that I just want to not be meek with them. But I say to myself, I say, self, it's not worth it. Be like Jesus. You know, uh, in Russia, one of the things I was talking about is uh, they had this world champion Russian wrestler. And uh, he had never lost, I mean, even in high school, college, everything, never lost a wrestling league. And so they went to share their faith with him, and they said, hey, would you come to church and study the Bible? And he said, if I lose this meet, I'll come to your church. Because he was wrestling this guy, he's, he's never lost in his life. He said, then I'll come to your church. Went out there, you know, within the first 30 seconds, this dude got beat. First time in his life he got beat. And as soon as he got beat, he said, I'll be at church. I got a picture of who he is. This is a big dude. Well, that's a little scattered, but he's about twice my size. He is wide. I mean, I couldn't even put my arms around him. And now this guy leaves one of the churches over in Russia. This is one of those guys that you just don't mess with at all. I mean, this guy be big, but then when you rushing big, that's a whole nother big. Whole nother volume right there. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. Wherever. Let's go. Let's go. But again, let's close out here back in James 1 as we close out. Verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, listen to what the Bible is saying. Everyone, not just the oldest people in the church, not just the youngest people, but everyone should be quick to listen. Before you want to respond, listen. Sometimes when you're talking, somebody already has what they're going to respond, ready to go. Before you finish your sentence, just listen to it all. Quick to listen, slow to speak. You know, maybe if you don't say nothing, you will find out the answer to the question or the statement if you just be slow to speak and listen. Slow to become angry. Guys, if you are truly a disciple of Jesus, I'm not saying you will never be angry. I'm living in reality. That's not true. But your anger should be less and less each time. I mean, you should just be, it should take longer and longer before you're angry. It shouldn't be faster and faster. It should take you. I mean, when I first came here and everybody was telling me I'm number one as I'm driving on the highway, that kind of threw me off for a moment. It took a while, but now I'm like, okay, okay, I understand. You had a bad day. You're running late. Okay, I understand. I have to start thinking it through for a while now. It was a challenge at first because it happened frequently. But the Bible says slow to become angry. So in your marriage, is it taking you longer to become angry at your spouse? Or is your fuse 
soul. It is so important for us to understand. We need to not just listen to the Bible, but to do what the Bible says. I think no matter where you are spiritually, if we listen and do what the Bible says, our lives will change for the best. Just remember, God did not send Jesus down to be beaten, flogged, and crucified so we can have a miserable life. Sometimes the biggest thing we need to do is to forgive ourselves. You messed up this summer? Forgive yourself. Jesus is saying he already forgives you. Forgive yourself, get back on track, and move on. There's too much work to do to be caught up carrying baggage. Check your baggage in at the cross, and let's glorify God. To God be the glory. Amen.